For sure. 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 For sure, for sure. Welcome to another episode of For Sure, a 200-foot podcast. I'm Peter. And it's the mostly here but not all here voice of Jay due to a head cold. Hi. <laughs> Hi, friends. This is lower register, Jay. We wanted to just get that out of the way. So no, because I'm sure most of you would have been concerned by the end of this episode, like, Jay sounds different. Is that really Jay? But I assure you. <laughs> Just like the clerk's quick quick stop, I assure you, it's me. So, yeah, I mean, is, is this like the uh, the Barbara Streisand clone, Jay? Um, I, I think that's a little too cerebral for our listeners. Yeah. I, I think I think quant, quantum physics and cloning that's that's okay, usually our like our that's our wrap up topic for the year. You because know, we're okay. So, so if you missed it, all these great players. Barbara Streisand cloned her dog. If you missed it, anyway. So we're going to start off the show with um, a, a, an, an interesting piece of information that came out yesterday or a couple days ago now, and it is the NHLPA player poll for 2017-18. So according to the NHLPA website, which is NHL, sorry, NHLPA.com, which is where you can find it, uh, NHL players were surveyed on more than 20 hockey-related questions during their annual NHLPA team meetings uh, between the preseason and early January 2018. So over 500 players took part in the poll, and then here are the results. All right, so Jay, let's do this. Let's 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 run through the results. Uh, we'll we'll kind of alternate. We'll you know I'll go first and yeah. then you go second. Uh, sure. If there's anything we want to talk about, we can do that, and then we can we can say what our opinion would be on this one. Sure. All right. So the first one, who is the league's fastest skater? All right. Um, and so just so we don't have to do this every time, these are the top five choices by percentage. For most of these, there's a, a, a fairly large number that is in the other category. So, you know, these aren't the only five people that people voted for. All right. So on this one, 81% Connor McDavid, 3.6% Michael Grabner, 2.4 Nick Letty, 2.2 Dylan Larkin, 1.6 Chris Kreider. So what do you think? I think it's completely invalid after number one, because the top two should be McDavid and Athena CU, and then kind of let the rest of the league fend for themselves after that. Um, I guess, again, I don't, I've really been able to watch many Devils games. So, you know, it's, it, I mean, they're saying 81% is McDavid, right? So, like, mm-hmm. obviously everyone else's percentages is going to be minuscule there. Mm-hmm. But, like, I, I I have not seen a lot of Michael Grabner. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't particularly oh, know him as, as the speediest person. But he, so he I, I defer to you. Is yeah. that, is that a thing? He 100% is. He, he for, um, he's one of, not the few players there's there's actually more than you think he but he, he is one of the relatively few uh number of players who have played for all three of the new york metro area teams um a while ago when i was watching islanders games he was on the islanders and he was lightning fast uh and then he went to the rangers and he he still has a reputation for being fast and he just got traded to the devils at the deadline so he hasn't really played too much for new jersey yet but i mean grabner's definitely definitely should be on there somewhere one thing that okay. I, I, right. I find interesting about this is it's just listed as the league's fastest skater. And I do think that there's a difference between 
fastest skater and then fastest skater with the puck because I do ah, think that's yeah, different. That's and I think true. for me, that's where I would definitely go with Connor McDavid. Like, I think there's maybe a chance that Athens CU could give him a run for his money if it were just straight ahead speed. But I think McDavid with the puck is the fastest skater in the NHL. Okay. I, I kind of disagree a little bit because, you know, in the spurts that I've seen Athens CU with the puck, mm-hmm. wink, wink, nudge, nudge, mm-hmm. you know, because, because he doesn't get to play a lot. <laughs> um, I, I, I would love to see them both get the chance to handle the puck in open ice. And mm-hmm. then, then we can make that decision later, sure. but that's, that's neither here nor there. So Pete, that was the fastest skater. Okay. Next up, they only asked the skaters because, you know, goalies, apparently because they only play as goalies, they can't have any opinion on other goalies. So this is only skaters. Skaters are asked, which goalie is the most difficult to score on clocking in at number one with 41% Terry price. Then at 12.1%, Johnny Quick. And then 9.3%, Pekarine. 8.2%, Sergei Bobrovsky. And then a 5.0% for Braden Holtby. Um, I would say this is mostly correct. If we were just looking at this season alone, I would not agree with it. But if we're talking about historically, I agree with, with the top five. What about you? I, I think the only one that I would change is I think I would bump Bobrovsky up higher. I think I might even put him up at number two and then bump everybody else down. Now, this could be just from seeing him make several Matrix-like saves against the uh, the Red Wings. But, you know, I, I've seen him make make similar saves against other teams. So I think, I mean, I think, if again, if you're talking about not just this season, I think Carey Price is probably the, the, you know, pretty much the easy number one choice. But I do think Robrowski should be a little higher. I mean, I, I don't really have a problem with this list uh, compared to compared to a couple of the other ones. So next up is who is the most difficult player to play against? And this is one of the this is one of the ones that was actually relatively close. So at the top, we have uh, 29.9% for Sidney Crosby. We have 237 for Connor McDavid. So those are easily the top two. And then rounding out the top the uh, the top five, we have uh, Patrick Kane at four point six, Shea Weber at four point one, and Anze Kopitar at three point two. Um, definitely the top two. I think it, it's kind of hard to argue with those two. I think um, yeah. you know, the, the, I mean, considering what they can do individually, I think it's it's pretty tough to to argue them. Um, I. Even now, I don't have a problem with Crosby being number one. I think it's it's just a matter of time before McDavid takes over that. I think it's definitely close. I'm not going to lose a lot of sleep trying to argue about which of those two is better currently. Um, for the other ones, I mean, I mean, Kane, he's he, you know, as much as I don't like him, he he is a very good scorer. Um, Weber definitely can take over a game. Uh, you know how lo- how much longer he can do that for is going to be the big question. And then and then Kopitar, I think I think Kopitar is 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 pretty underrated. I think I think he doesn't get as much uh, as much recognition as he should. Um, you know, I, I I think this is a I think this is at least a pretty solid list. I, I think there's definitely other names you could add on here. Yeah, I'd have to agree that Kopitar is underrated, and I would very much so like to peer through the looking glass to see the alternate dimension where he's not in Los Angeles, not because of the team, just because Los Angeles is such a weird ass market for hockey, you know, cause they keep giving them like, even on local broadcasts to this day, they use the Sacramento Kings logo when they're talking about them. <laughs> so, you know, don't get me wrong. He's, he's got a couple cups. I think 
he is does have some some recognition, but you know if he was in like a, a you know either a Minnesota or a New York or a, or a Detroit type market where you know he is a dominant player and it it is you're right. I mean again we're talking about these are we're talking fractions of a percentage here. I mean you know a lot of this is out of 435 votes and whatnot. So you know it is it's going to be what it's going to be, but. Um, I think out of, yeah, in terms of arrangement, yeah, I would definitely bump Kopitar up. So, mm. you know, you're welcome, Anze. Yeah. Call me. Can we <laughs> hang out? Can we be friends? Okay, so um, the next one, oh, and just a little footnote on that one. Um, that That is one of the ones I was talking about before where, where the other category is something like 35%. So, you know, th- there's a yeah. lot of other people that, that were voted in there. So the next one is... Um, the toughest to play against, or who, I'm sorry, who is the toughest player? And this was not close. 44.7, almost half the players surveyed said Ryan Reeves, late of the Pittsburgh Penguins by way of St. Louis, and now a Vegas Golden Knight. 14.8 say Milan Lucic, 4% say Sedano Chara, 3.2% say Michael Haley of the Florida Panthers, and then 27 say Matt Martin. I'll be honest, I'm really surprised that Chara is this low, even though he's, you know, getting up there in age and you don't really see him fight very often. But I don't know. I, I still I still consider him to be way up there in terms of the toughest player. I guess maybe it depends on how you look at it. You know, if you look at it, you know, like who's going to who's going to break your face. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I definitely think that, you know, Chara is still a very tough player to play against. Um, I certainly don't think he's less tough than Milan Lucic, yeah. which is interesting, but, you know, mm. it is what it is. Um, quick side note, uh, is Michael Haley's name really spelled not right? No, th- th- is that, that is how it's spelled. It's, it's very, oh. yeah, it's weird. Oh, okay. All right. Well, good for you, Haley. Good for you. <laughs> Again, for those not, not in the know, because I'm pretty sure you aren't, Pete and I have the website up right now, and... Michael Haley's name is spelled M-I-C-H-E-A-L, yeah. like Mike Hill instead of Mike Hale. So, um, you know, I just I was just wondering. So uh, mm. thanks for clearing that up. Um, moving on from the toughest player, now we go to the most underrated player. Now, um, again, it's kind of amusing because we literally just talked about Anze Kobitar, but, you know, now this is a, this is a different scenario here, but... Uh, the top five uh, coming in at number one is Nicholas Backstrom. Number two, Jaden Schwartz. Number three, Nikita Kucherov. Number four, Alexander Barkov. And then number five, Ryan O'Reilly. Um, uh, prior to recording, Pete, I was actually kind of surprised, but Pete actually brought up a, a good point about Backstrom. Is I was like, I don't know. I like I know Backstrom. I don't think he's underrated. But then Pete reminded me like there's this other player in the Washington Capitals. Um, Kind of making a name for himself. Pretty good at goal scoring. Has some has a pretty cool visor and likes to use yellow laces. His name is Ali <laughs> Alexander Ovechkin. Ovechkin. That's right. So, yeah, I'd I'd say if you're behind the shadow that is Ov, that yeah, you might not get as many looks as as you like. Um, yeah, I I'm, I mostly agree with this. I mean. Based, but if we were basing this on this year alone, I don't think Kucherov would be anywhere on this list because he's a cheat code right now. So, yeah, I mean, for me, that's definitely the one I was looking at. Uh, that that 
Kucherov listed as as underrated. I mean, right now he's you know an MVP candidate, um, yep. and and I, I don't really see how you could how you could make that case. A uh, couple couple names on here. I think um, I think maybe maybe you could put Johnny Goudreau on here. Um, not that not oh, that people. Oh yeah, definitely. I would. I mean, not that people don't think he's good, but I don't think people maybe realize just how good of a season he's having. Um, yep. and the other one, and again, this could be kind of recency bias of seeing him play, but, um, I think, I think maybe you can make a case for, uh, for Seth Jones being on here because, you know, last, uh, last night we played, uh, you know, the Red Wings played the, the Blue Jackets and he looked pretty darn good, you know, and, and, and he's not somebody I think of as that type of level defender. Now, again, it could have just been one game, but, you know, I think if you look at his, his numbers, I think he's doing pretty well this year. And, you know, again, this is not saying like, you know, who's the best player, but it's who's the most underrated. And I think, you know, especially playing out in Columbus, uh, you know, Columbus has a couple. I mean, you can make, probably maybe uh, make a case for Panarin, too, out there in Columbus. You know, he's he's putting up a ton of points and, you know, you could see last night just how dangerous he was. So that's a tough category, I think. And, 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 and again, this one actually had 70.1% were for other players. You know, so uh, Nicholas Backstrom came in number one with eight point six percent of the vote. So there, there was a ton of players that were were listed on there that we don't we don't have uh, we don't have the, the the copy of. All right, so which player is the best role model? This one is definitely going to be controversial. I I think it depends on like I I think it depends on how you look at it. I can totally see why they would do this, but I can totally see why people would would argue against it. Uh, so yep. number one by a lot was Sidney Crosby with thirty three percent. And then everybody else is below 10%. You have Jonathan Taves, number two, then Patrice Bergeron, Shea Weber, and uh, Patrick Marlowe. So obviously the, the, the reason to argue against this with Crosby is the way that he, um, he acts from time to time. Uh, he, he did a lot more when he was younger. When he was younger, he was a lot more um, immature. He, he did a lot more of the 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 whining the the diving the dirty plays you know the kind of uh you know in a scrum he'd you know crank a guy in the cup or something like that and he doesn't do it as much anymore but he still definitely does it and i think it it's it makes it easy to kind of argue against him being a role model my guess is that when the players said this they're talking about the you know the idea that every season he basically picks something that he wants to work on. And like, that's all he works on over the summer. And then when we come back, he's like one of the best players in the league at whatever that skill is, you know, so I'm guessing they're talking about, you know, even though as, as skilled as he is, the work ethic that he has, and I'm guessing that's what they're saying. They, 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 they look up to about him. That's, that's the way I read it. What do you think? I, I, I would, I would have to agree, but I, I, I still argue against it. Mm. And I actually, and yes, I'm going to say this out loud. I I look up to Taves way more than I do Crosby. Um, you know, I think even though Captain Sirius had his you know little meltdown against Chicago all those years ago, but then recuperated and then won three in a row on his way to a cup. So, you know, I think I, I don't know. I, I I've I guess I've paid attention to Taves more just based like re, like region wise. You know, it's not like Chicago and Pittsburgh are that drastically distant from Detroit in terms of location. But, you know, I just, I know Chicago more than I do Pittsburgh and, you know, it's, it's, 
when Pittsburgh's the only story that's getting pushed, yeah, everybody's going to know it, everybody's going to see it, and then, yeah, it's probably the easy answer. Yeah, of course, Crosby's a pretty good player, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I, I look at Taves, and I just see, you know, I think he's far more a complete player to be a, a role model, and, and he's mm. actually spoken out better than, than Crosby has. So that's why mm. I would probably put him above. So I think, I think also if you're going to talk about uh, role models on Pittsburgh – and uh, in term, especially in terms of uh, dealing with the media, I think you have to go Phil Kessel there. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> as as we've been going through, I've, I'm always on the lookout for for Red Wing possibilities. And I think this is this is the category where I think Henrik Zetterberg could easily have been in the top five. Oh yeah, I agree with that too. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I for all we know, he was at like 2.5 percent, but because he's on the Red Wings and Patrick Marlowe is a Toronto Maple Leaf, maybe that's mm-hmm. why they put him up there. But that's that's neither here hmm. nor there. Okay, so that was the best role model. Now this is this is I I love this question, Pete, hmm. because you know it's so original, and <laughs> whenever it's asked, you always get the greatest answers because <laughs> you, people have never heard it before. But which player would you select to start a franchise? Um, now this being the first time I've ever heard that question, and I'll take a couple seconds to think about it, but doesn't matter because it's already been decided for me because the players have voted and uh number one connie mack uh, that would be Connor mcdavid uh 23.8 goes to crosby 5.8 to austin matthews 3.1 percent to taves that's kind of an interesting one and then 1.9 with uh eric carlson soon to be uh number one defenseman on a team not located in uh ottawa so uh, Pete, I agree with this. I would definitely, again, this is so weird because if we were talking about like, if you wanted to pull someone, I like that this can be asked now and there is a clear cut answer. Imagine how much of a ruckus this would cause if there was like, if you could select us, if you could select to start a franchise, a player from any point in hockey history, when they're in their prime, who would you pick? I think this would be just, a, it would be a, a, a bar fight about who it would be. And, and we can add, probably ask that question later, but yeah, I agree. I definitely take Connor McDavid far and away above everything else right now. Um, because, you know, it'd be nice to build a team that isn't Edmonton mm-hmm. around him. It, it's kind of strange. I don't know why Crosby and Taves are on this list because I mean, I, I'm assuming that you're talking about right now and both of them with their age, I don't know why you would pick them over some other players. I mean, I would, I would have Kucherov on there ahead of these guys. Um, let's see. I mean, McDavid, Matthews, Kucherov, Carlson, Hedman, Nylander. I would, I would throw Nylander on there. I would throw Marner on there. I would throw. Uh, I, I, well, I don't think either or, of them are or, that level. I mean, and, and I like both of them as players. I just don't think they're that level. Well, again, we're talking about the start of franchise, and, I, and in that case, I guess I was just putting them up there just in terms of age, not in terms of skill. Because if you're going to mm. start, I mean, I think their upside is tremendous. Mm. So, like, if you feel like, I don't know, I want to be the first guy to build a franchise with a complete nobody, but then he turns out to be the second coming, and then everybody can regard me as some mm. sort of deity knowing who to pick. But, yeah, yeah, you're right. I don't think Taves and Crosby should be on here at all because, Pete, here's my, here's mm. my conspiracy theory. What if this is the question? The NHL put in there to see who's going to captain the Seattle to be named. <laughs> so, you know, there, there you go. So, Ooh, conspiracy theory here. Love him while you can, Edmonton, because Connie Max heading out of town. He's going to the to, to Norpac. <laughs> 
All right. Uh, which defenseman is the most difficult to play against? And there were three that were almost in a virtual tie. You had Eric Carlson at number one. You had Drew Doughty at number two. And then Shea Weber at number three. They were, were varying from 22 to 19%. So they're all roughly the same. And then dropping down to 9.2, you had Brett Burns. And then 7.7, Victor Hedman. So, again, this is interesting because it's coming from the players. And obviously, we have a different perspective from them. And so on some of these, you kind of just have to... You know, like, like the question before with like, who's the toughest? I mean, I kind of just have to just just yep. go with them, you know, because I'm not sure. Yep. But I think yep. I mean, I, I would have a hard time not choosing Eric Carlson, especially, you know, when he's when he's 100 percent, because, you know, I mean, last year in the playoffs, I mean, he was basically he basically carried that team as far as they got. He was far and away the best player out there. And, you know, I think Carlson is is is, is a pretty easy choice. Um, and you know, you can see like Weber on there, Weber and Burns are on there. I mean, they're both, you know, they can both be, be good at the back end, but then they can, you know, they can put up points, you know, uh, Weber still has that really tough slap shot and, you know, Dowdy's an interesting case. Cause I know people have been talking about him getting, you know, his Norris trophy as a kind of like a lifetime achievement, as opposed to, you know, for that, you know, for one really good season, and it's interesting to see him up that high, uh, you know, by the by the players. Yeah. All right. I actually would have Hedman a little bit higher on this list, just because. I can see that. Yeah. 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 I. No, I don't. I, I certainly think he's just as good as Burns. Mm. But you know, that's that's neither here nor there. But I was actually kind of surprised to see Shea Weber that that highly up there. You mm. know, because yeah, he's suck right now. But that's <laughs> that's that's uh, that's something we all know. But yeah, I, I I would say yes. Carlson is generational talent. And he's going to look great in a in a red and white sweater in Detroit next year. So it's going to be great. Um, <laughs> moving on from the which defenseman is most difficult to play against? Which forward is most difficult to play against? What nuance in these questions, Peter? I know, oh, right? Yeah. Uh, clocking in at number one. Now this is ba- I'm going to call this a tie because I think fractions of a percent aren't that much to quibble over. So basically tied for first with 30%, but respectively it's it's Crosby with 30.4 and McDavid with 30.1. You know, that's kind of a weird hill to die on, but it is what it is. But yeah, so Crosby and Connor McDavid are regarded as the two most difficult players to play against. And then uh, 5.7% for Patrick Kane, 5.2% for Anze Kopitar, and 47 for Patrice Bergeron. Um, I don't want to think of a world where uh, Crosby and McDavid happen to be on the same team. Um you know, just because, like, you know, I, yeah, the NHL sat out of the Olympics this year, but, you know, that we almost, whew, boy, wow. Jeez, uh, both those guys on the same team, that's that's a bit much. So, you know, good good, good for the league to have them on different teams. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I, I agree with this. I mean, I see, that's what's weird, Pete, because, like, again, the percentage drop-offs are so weird here, whereas I'm sure, like, if you and I asked, it'd be – you know, higher percentage, but like, I certainly think Patrick Kane is not 25% lower than McDavid and Crosby to play against. I think he's just as comparable, just a little bit less in certain areas, but you know, I, yeah, I, I think they're difficult to play against. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I don't play hockey. Of course they'd be difficult to play against. I, I'm a little surprised to see Berger on this low, you know, considering that he is basically always in the top three for Selkie, you know, he, he's, 
easily one of the one of the hardest players to play against. He's one of the you know, if not the best defensive forward in the NHL. Pretty darn close to it, you know, season in season out. And then as I would have to add, just based on the way the question is phrased, I think I would have to uh, I would have to throw our probably for sure uh, rated least favorite player, Brad Marchand, in here because if it yep. says who's the hardest to play against, it's hard to play against him because. You can't deny he's skilled. He has, you know, he's he's grown a lot as a hockey player, but he is I can't imagine playing against somebody like that. You know, just yeah, just how not even dirty. Like, I mean, he is he does do really dirty things. He does, slew, you know, he slew foots all the time uh, or not all the time. But, you know, he, he has repeated instances of slew footing players. He does dirty things seemingly every game. But it's not even just that. It's just like the annoying factor. You know, every whistle he's running his mouth. He's always, you know, trying to, you know, you know, bait you into taking a, a penalty against him. So I, I certainly do not like him, but I think I would have to vote for him as probably top five hardest to play against for that reason. Um, yeah, I, I would agree because you not only have to look out for him on the skill side of things, you also have to look out for him on the holy crap, there's a stick coming at my face. Yeah. So. All right, th- this next one is 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 a tough one because it's who's the best team player, and so leading the way again is Sidney Crosby at sixteen point nine. Jonathan Taves comes in second at eleven. Uh, Patrice Bergeron is a nine point three. Kopitar is fourth with three point seven, and then Th- Joe Thornton makes his first appearance on the list. He is down Woo! at number five for two point two. Again, I think this is another one where I think you could make a very strong case for Zetterberg being in the top five because of his not only his leadership by example even you know at his you know relatively high age he's still younger than I am but you know he's relatively high age for the NHL and his you know his his vocalness in the locker room you know willingness to to call players out to to you know lead by example and 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 also the other ways that somebody could lead so I, I think you could definitely make a really strong case for him being in this conversation here I don't know. It's tough again because this is coming from this is coming from players. I don't know. I, I don't think there's anybody here. I'd be like, oh my god, I, like they shouldn't be up here. Yeah. But, you know, like you know, some of these other ones. I'm like, I don't know. But I don't. I don't think on this one. I don't think there's any any big ones. Um, yeah. Oh, and okay. So that's that's the best team player. And then we have what quality do you appreciate most in a teammate? Right. Hmm. Right. Okay. So. Out of the, out of, there are five things: respect, loyalty, honesty, team player, and work ethic. According to players, they really like work ethic. They really like you being a team player. They're pretty good with you being honest. They're so-so about being loyal, <laughs> and they do not really care about respect. <laughs> because in that order, it was twenty-six percent, fourteen percent, seven point seven, six point zero, and then three point eight. So players don't really like a lot of respect. So then. Well, the, explains Marshans. I mean, I think it depends. It depends on how you look at it, you know, because they're, it seems like they're just picking one, you know, so yeah. Yeah. So, you know, a quarter of them picked work ethic, but you don't know if maybe their second choice could have been respect or loyalty or something like that. You know, so I I think a a poll like this can, can definitely be skewed a little bit. Um, When this came out, one, one common refrain on Twitter is, well, where's skill? And so <laughs> I like 
I, I do wonder if that is maybe something where either they gave them a list of, of qualities or if the players just kind of assumed that skill was maybe they just assumed this skill was a given. You know, I'd rather have a player who's who's good. You know, I'd rather have a player who's skilled as opposed to a player who's not. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. All right, so we're just going to do a couple more because otherwise this podcast is going to end up being three hours long because they they have a lot more categories. So you can check this out on the NHLPA yeah. uh, site. So the there's two left, and, and I'm going to let Jay take the last one partially because that's the order we're doing and partially because I already know what's going to happen and it'll be fun. So uh, this next one, if you need to win one game, who is the number one player at any position you would want on your team? And I thought this was interesting because you, you would not be surprised at the players on the list, but Sidney Crosby is nearly 50%. He is 43.7, whereas Connor McDavid is 15.3. I'm going to guess that that's probably due to his performance in the playoffs so far, his you know number of Stanley Cups, etc., his performance at international tournaments. I'm going to guess that they're going with him because of his proven track record, whereas McDavid obviously has the the skill, the ability, the talent, but he doesn't really have anything to show for it at this level yet. So you have Crosby, then you have McDavid, and then you have Carey Price with almost 10%. Patrick Kane is roughly 4%, and then Eric Carlson is about 3%. So out of all these, is, is there is there somebody you think should be in this top five who's not? Yeah. I'm surprised that I even have to bring this up. He's, he's, I would think he's probably saw this question and was really upset that he didn't see himself on here. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I think, you, I think you know who I'm talking about here. He's, he's, a, he's a good boy. Luke Gritkowski. <laughs> he had, like, I mean, come on, right? Mm-hmm. The number one. Like, because <laughs> that's what this league is, right, Pete? You need someone who can drop them. You need someone who can go to the dirty areas, right? <laughs> Gritkowski is it. So that's who I'm surprised isn't on this list. But maybe he is. Maybe he was part of the 24.2% of of the other there. But you, you never know. Um, I don't know. I, you, like when it says if you need to win one game, like, wait, one game to get into the playoffs? One game to win the cup? Like what? Like. I don't know. I think it's just kind of a broad question. Like, oh, like, so if I needed to win last night in the middle of March, yeah, yeah, I'll take Crosby. Like, no, no, let's add a modifier to the question. <laughs> let's be like, oh, if I need to win one game to win the Stanley Cup, yes, I am taking McDavid over Crosby because that boy's going to be, like, way hungry and ridiculously on fire because, holy crap, he's in a Stanley Cup playoff. But I know that's not the question. So, yeah, I'd say this, I'd say that category is. Pretty pretty spot on. Um, All right, so last okay, one. Yeah, yeah, the, and I'm glad that you, that I do get to do this one because I, I I think I think I can speak for a lot of people on this one. So it's, do you like the way points are currently awarded for a win in a for a win or a loss in the regular season? And 77.7 percent people said yes, and that means 77.7 percent of the league is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so congratulations, players. Yeah, came up short. But uh, it is it is what it is. Yeah, there's absolutely how on earth could anybody agree overwhelmingly with that? There's no, 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 it's, it's not like we have non hockey 
situations deciding pivotal games is dumb. So yeah, I think I think I think this this very very humorous question. So you know, <laughs> to the twenty two point three percent people who had their heads on straight, congrats. <laughs> but everybody else, what are you thinking? All right, our guest today is Alex Novit. Alex is an editor at Hockey Graphs and an Islanders analytics writer at the newly incorporated Athletic NYC branch. You can follow him on the Twitter sphere at Alex Novet. That's A L E X N O V E T. So, Alex, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing pretty good. We lost power uh, a little bit a little while ago, but luckily we got it back because. Uh, having to reschedule this stuff really sucks. You know, <laughs> you know, if you feel bad, you know, you have to get everybody to, to change your schedules. Um, so anyway, I'm going to start off with an easy question for you. All right. So here's the hypothetical. All right. So if neither of them could make decisions for your team and you had to choose between the two based purely on who you want to mock on Twitter after post-game interviews, do you choose Jack Capuano or Doug Waite? Oh man. I mean, I think Capuano, I think Capuano is the only one that's really like transcended past the Islander fan base and gotten into just like all of hockey Twitter where just like different screen caps of him will pop up and the various comparisons between he looks like Fred Flintstone or a used car dealer or if Fred Flintstone was a used car dealer. And so I think probably, you know, he's probably the one that's gotten the most fodder weight, whether it's just a time thing or the appearance thing, I think hasn't quite gotten there, even if he is now spiraling in anger each and every press conference, it seems, as he faces more and more losses and just, just clearly does not want to be there, which is very reasonable, but <laughs> not having a good time with it. Yeah, if, if our listeners haven't seen uh, the last one, uh, I, I didn't actually get to see the footage yet, but it was all over Twitter and it was... I think I'm, I'm guessing it was Shannon Hogan talking to him and he is looking skyward. Uh, and there's been, there's been a lot of really good picture memes, you know, comparing it to, to other things. So um, I, I, I guess that's the state of his, uh, his take on the team right now. Yeah. I mean, he's always been, you know, as a player's reputation was the super intense, super competitive guy. And so to be in this spot where, you know, they're not officially eliminated, but they're pretty much out losing eight in a row when honestly they've been playing a bit better than they had been in the past couple of months. I think he has no answers and is very unhappy to be in that spot right now. <laughs> uh, Alex, given that your team has gone through some of the worst Jersey uh, evolutions ever. I mean, don't you think like this is now like a golden age? Like at least you can now complain about the team being good and not looking bad while while stinking. I mean, if if there was if there was ever a time to have the least uh, amount of like tornadoy stuff around your team. I mean, granted, there is the whole part where it's like, oh, we're gonna move to Brooklyn and then and then we don't like Brooklyn anymore, so we're gonna we're gonna play in Nassau a couple times and then. And then we'll go, but we're still going to play in Brooklyn. And then, and then I think there's going to be another building we're going to play in later. Oh, that's that's where we're going to play forever. Then, oh, okay, cool. So, I mean, it's it's what a time to be alive, right? And and so, like, do you find yourself like, eh, it could be worse, or are you in the, are you like, in 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 dire straits? 
It's a mix. I'd say, you know, ultimately it's not as bad as like some of the, you know, Millberry <laughs> era Islander 90s years where like that part I feel like, you know, was just as bad, but sort of transcended the on the ice gameplay. Right now, the issues are like the team is bad and they're worried about Tavares resigning. And, you know, there's plenty of debates to be had about the coach and the management and the arena stuff. But it's not just the like regular laughingstock Mickey Mouse stuff. It's, you know, a bad hockey team, but one of 31 hockey teams, not this like bizarre, fistic era <laughs> monstrosity. Yes, we've got big boy problems like like upper like uh, like upper management issues and, and, and where we're going. Not like, oh, where are we going? Is the ice OK? Here? <laughs> Is our owner going to be indicted? Uh <laughs> Yeah, we, we've moved on past those things. The owners, you know, as much as there's owner turmoil, at least we know the owners have the money to purchase the team. And so, if nothing else, they're looking up past some of the previous eras. Oh, my God. Good times. Memories, memories, memories. Um, all right. So I wanted to make sure that I got to this one because this is something I always want to talk about. And I just want to hear what, hear what you have to say at this point. So I grew up in Milford, Connecticut, which is 10 minutes away from Bridgeport, which if for our listeners is, is where the uh, the AHL affiliate for the Islanders plays. So I've been kind of putting together this scheme, this kind of like Ocean's Eleven heist uh, type scheme. The next time I'm home, I'm going to break into a Sound Tigers practice. I'm going to grab Josh Hosang and I'm going to say to him, come with me if you want to play. So what is going on? Because from an outside perspective, it just seems baffling. It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And I'm just like, I keep trying to wrap my mind around it. And, and I, I don't really know what to think. Yeah, it's it's a weird situation. It's a tough situation. I mean, I'm certainly... At this point, and honestly, probably far earlier, they should have had Hosang, you know, up with the Islanders, you know, and it's clearly a mix of things. I think the biggest one is just, you know, he's a guy who's going to do a lot. And that means making mistakes and making visible mistakes in a way that, you know, Jason Chimera might be too far behind the play to make the mistake. (laughs) And so, you know, there's plenty of things for him to work on. There's definitely real flaws in his game that should be addressed. But he has such a unique skill set. He has stuff that really could benefit the Islanders so much, especially, you know, when they were struggling to get any sort of offense out of that, you know, third and fourth line. It definitely seemed like the type where you want to say, okay, this is a kid. He's getting better. Let's utilize his strengths and work on the weaknesses. And it seemed like he was at the point where it was good enough that that could have happened in the NHL, but they have not fully gotten that to click just yet. So hopefully, I think, you know, at this point, I don't expect he's going to be back the rest of this season. They're just going to play it out. And then, you know, we see what happens if we repeat all of this next season. Hopefully he can, you know, end up in one of those, you know, like if him can be on the third line driving play there, you know, I still think that that is long term a possible area for him to succeed in. But, you know, that, you know, coaches focus on, you know, the part that they can control, which is always, you know, having a more structured play, being able to have an organized defense is always the stuff that Hosang's going to struggle the most at. And, you know, it's can you accept those in order to get, you know, the stick handling, the neutral zone play, the playmaking ability that you're going to get with him on the ice? Yeah, I mean, it it almost reminds me of the like kind of the joke that people make about Edmonton, where it's like, well, what do they need to succeed? Oh, they need wingers. Hmm. Where could you get wingers from Edmonton? You know, it's kind of like, what do the Islanders need? They need, you know, a forward that can can drive offense and can make things happen and be creative. Hmm. Gee, I don't know. Uh, you know, so every time, every time I see that he's, 
you know, he was passed over. And I, I think, you know, I was talking to Dan Saraceni a lot about this and, and, and you and him seem to be kind of on the same page that he's not coming up this, you know, if he was going to come up this season, he'd already be up. And yeah. I don't know, I guess I, he's the type of player that I just root for. Even, even if he's not on my team, you know, I, I, I just want to see, see him succeed. So I don't know. I'm personally invested in him. So hopefully, hopefully he'll get a chance next year. Yeah, hopefully. You know, I thought about getting, you know, I currently have the Islanders jersey that I'm too afraid to put any name on the back of. And I <laughs> thought about going with Hosang at the beginning of the season and then did not. So it was at least not me who jinxed the whole situation. But I think there, clearly this has become a project that mm-hmm. Snow is thinking about, the management is thinking about beyond just like, it's not a matter of we're going to call up whoever's playing best in Bridgeport. They're like, have whatever thought process for better or worse for this like long-term development. And hopefully it plays out. We certainly seen case in the nhl where it has and somewhere it hasn't and hopefully it's one where they can you know rely on his positive play and things work out i gotta be honest i hope this thing drags out because my free hosang t-shirt business is really booming right now so i need you guys to (laughs) to not give me any like oh he might come up like ah geez all right well that means i there's my days are numbered on the on the t-shirt market um alex uh Recently, I was talking to, jeez, uh, uh, I think this is the first time I've been ever in a name drop like this. Recently, I was talking to Craig Kistens, and uh, we were talking about, uh, and especially with, we were just talking about with Hosang, um, the term overripe player, how long they're in the uh, lesser than, or, well, not lesser than, but the lower leagues. You know, like you're drafted, you got the fire, you come up for a little bit. I mean, from from the Wings' perspective, we had Rasmussen have, from basically everybody's perspective, a really really good camp. You know, and and based on that performance and based how he is right now, people are like, yeah, he's probably. You know, we'd like to see him make the team out of camp next year. But you know, we've we and especially with the the whole Sang situation, it's like, is there? Wait, like from the from the analytics realm, if there's like a, can we call it like please let me play stat or something like because <laughs> like in, in in your opinion, like for a player like Hosang, like is there any value to this situation where you're like you're kept down and you just have to like take it and that's what's going to make you better or is this actually part of the system that is that needs to be fixed in order to get players up when and they can actually have. Their potential, because I think guys, for the most part, you know, like, yeah, they want to make the, the jump and stuff. But like, it's these two and three year guys like you wonder, geez, do the, does he still want to play in the NHL? I mean, he might like Bridgeport, right? Yeah, you know, I'd say on the analytics side, there's not like here is the one clear definitive answer. You know, it's not a settled matter. But I'd say in general, you know, I haven't seen much evidence saying that, you know, time in the AHL is then beneficial in the long run that, you know, the rushing prospects versus over ripening them. I haven't seen a ton of. I can imagine a case where, you know, if you've got somebody who think it's going to be, you know, a score, a top line, second line guy, you're better off, you know, giving him those top line minutes in Bridgeport than like forcing them to be the fourth line grinder. You know, certainly the the Nino Niederreiter case speaks to that one. (laughs) So, you know, that's where I can sort of see a case for something like that, where you're waiting for the right role to open up. But in general, usually if somebody's going to be an NHL player, you see it in the NHL pretty fast, where, you know, I think, and at least it definitely said that 
you know, the aging curve is way shorter than most people expect. Players peak much younger than people would imagine. And really, you can see them stand out in the AHL. So if you're, you know, 21, 22, 23 in the AHL, you know, you want to be leading your team in points, you know, at that, you know, scoring regularly if you're going to be, you know, uh, likely, you know, regular in the NHL. And there's various work, you know, uh, Namina Nandakumar has done some good stuff looking at the pipeline, like the development timeline, how many years should a player expect to wait. And there's various other things that, you know, I wish I could cite, but are definitely out there trying to figure out exactly how long it should go. But definitely, you know, if they're not producing in the AHL and really outstanding in the AHL, you know, things are not looking good for their NHL prospects very quickly. Do you yeah. think there's ever been, if there will ever be a point in history where a player will be like the most god-awful AHL player, but he plays one game in the NHL and it's like he already knows what he's doing? Like, I I, I would love for there to be one guy that's like, listen, I can't, I can't play in the AHL. The only way I can play is in the AHL. And just... You're me to talk about future... Rocket Richard winner Ross Johnston is that yeah, where we're going yeah, with this? Yeah, ab- absolutely. <laughs> no, I mean like so. Here's like here's why how I would say it's possible is that you know the biggest difference you always hear between the two leagues is the speed of the game, and you know in general there's also like some structural pieces to that. So you can imagine a guy who's just like is all his strengths are in the speed of the game, the decision making of the game, and in the NHL because the his teammates are where they are supposed to be and where he expects them to be that that can connect better, that, you know, by being able to see it, the game three steps ahead, you're able to perform in the NHL, where there's just like more randomness and ugliness in the lower leagues. So I can imagine something like that, where it's somebody relying on their smarts on the ice, being in the right place and having that structure. But, you know, I can't think of anybody who's really, you know, done that sort of like, you know, a crazy hamburger situation. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think there's been anything we've really understood, like, you know, this is why this player showed mediocre results in the AHL, but then exploded in the NHL. I think it's going to be a mix of luck and happenstance development, you know, maybe syncing up with the right coach and then maybe sort of that decision-making opportunity. Nice. Yeah. I was trying, as, as you were talking, I was trying to think of an example. Cause you know, it's always fun to, you know, the, you know, it's always fun to just, like come up with like that trivia question. Like, Oh wait, what about this guy? But I, I can't think of anything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so as always, we, uh, we put out a call to our, to our listeners, to our readers. And so I wanted to, I wanted to get to a listener question. So this is from uh, North Dakota Red Eagle and it's a two-parter. And so the first part is it says which wagon, and so I'm guessing maybe maybe that's like a bandwagon reference. Like I guess which of these two would you would you rather have? Um, and so the the two options here are Tavares and Snow, or no Tavares or no Snow. And then the the second part is which one do you think is more likely, Tavares without Snow or Snow without Tavares next mm-hmm. season? And this is for next season next season so on the first part i think it's definitely Tavares and snow you know i mean a bunch of my reach has been always you know about the strong link game it's about having the best star on the ice and i think you know and you will accept mistakes for management over not having john Tavares and then having some other management who there's no reason to believe that you know whoever you're going to replace snow with is automatically amazing and perfect they'll have their own mistakes and you know have fans complaining about their own decisions no matter what and so you know, having John Tavares on this team is so huge. And, you know, without him, you're looking at, 
you know, building a team around Matt Barzell and Nick Letty, who are solid, but you've got so much money tied up in a bunch of the depth players there that, you know, they're not in great shape for a rebuild. They're not in great shape to have that talent to contend without him. I think you accept whatever other circumstances need to be done to keep Tavares. On part two, you know, honestly, I think the one goes or and one stays, either way, is probably the least likely. I think if Tavares walks, I would not be shocked to see the owners move on from Snow pretty shortly thereafter and just say, you know, we're doing a rebuild, we're doing a totally new direction, this is out. Whereas if Tavares resigns and all accounts say that, you know, he likes the weight and Snow combination there and is comfortable with them, then I would expect that they stick around. But if it is one goes and one stays, I think more likely is probably Tavares resigning somewhere else, you know, and doing, you know, at this point, Art Staple has said sort of 60-40 he stays. So if you take like that 40%, and then I think from that, you know, I would not be surprised if they keep Snow on for another year or two before totally pulling out. You know, one of the big issues is that just before handing ownership or majority ownership of the Islanders over, uh, Charles Wang signed, I think it was a five-year extension with Snow. And so, you know, there's also a considerable amount of money to be paid if you just move on from him. So I'd say that's more likely, I think, if Tavares stays, I would be very surprised if they then move on from Snow in the next year. Yeah, and just just so you know, that sound that you just heard is all of our Islander fan listeners just walking into traffic uh, at that last <laughs> answer. So <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I the sound that I heard was like in Dunkirk, where the guy's just taking off all his gear and just walking straight into the ocean. <laughs> so if, if Tavares, but stays, I think they've it, got some good pieces and could change things around. But without him, you know. I don't see a super viable, optimistic long-term path moving on if you're going to build a team around Sezikis, Clutterbuck, and Scott Mayfield in the long term. They'll get a lot of hits, though, and, and, and as we know, that's that's the most important thing. Yeah, so in, in the hitting hockey league next to the Corsi <laughs> hockey league, and that alternative universe, we'll be doing all right. What's the advanced stat that measures how your game is compared to your mustache? Because if that's the case, then I, I build around Clutterbuck all day, all night. <laughs> So really hard to pull off the I am in Don, I'm in John Dillinger's gang look. He, he just he needs like that really tight vest and tie combo. <laughs> um, Alex, my first uh, gut question here is and I don't think I've asked this of any of other uh, of our guests, Pete, and I'd like to actually start asking this more of cool. Alex. Are there any egregious people that have yet to be retired in your organization? Like num- numbers wise, obviously, because like, it, like, is there any glaring thing? And but if there isn't, in your opinion, who is the next in line to be raised sixty hundred feet into the air? And that's an ac- that's an accurate number. People don't at me on this. Yep. Uh, John Tavares, probably. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, if that's what it takes to resign, and we can do that tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I'm good with that. Well, um, I mean, it, it, I I would hope not because again. We all recently just saw that Blake Griffin signed his big extension with the Clippers, and part of their ceremony was that they raised his number to the thing to be Clipper for life. So I don't know if Islander for life <laughs> on a banner being raised to the ceiling has as much draw, but <laughs> yeah, again, that's, I just asking you. for trouble. Yeah. He's, he's in like me. Yeah. I don't think of any obvious ones. I mean, basically, the Islanders have, you know, there's the Dynasty era then there's mediocre struggles, then there's embarrassing struggles, and then there's the Tavares era. It's essentially the four parts. From the dynasty era, you know, there's 
plenty of guys that you could say were great Islanders, underrated Islanders there, but they pretty much got the core from that team all enshrined. And if anything, you know, there's a case to be made that, you know, looking at the Hall of Fame, you know, Clark Gillies, Billy Smith were probably not the strongest contributors and had just as much of like the character and the PR side of it. Both very, very good players, but I definitely don't lean, you know, if anything, I think the borderline cases are already up more so than like, you know, what Bob Bourne desperately asking for it. (laughs) And then. The Islanders have done a pretty good job finding sort of like the second tier awards. You know, I forget the exact name for sort of like their circle of honors type thing where they have a lot of, you know, the Bob Bourne types in there. And I think it was last year they did, you know, to celebrate 40 years, they highlighted one player from each decade, which did a nice job of like, you know, I don't think that Kenny Johnson probably, you know, is at that point where you want his number race. But I certainly love Kenny Johnson. Kenny Johnson's a huge part of my childhood. And I think having that like, second tier level of like these were the core islanders through various times but were not those like exceptional all-time grades i think is roughly the right spot yeah so do you have a section for steve webb anywhere (laughs) you know i think you know one of the you know sections that's just like the crazy fans that have their own little club built up i think there's you know uh steve webb and you know darius kasparitis and various other punching greats hanging out yeah, I'll tell you what, Darius Kasparaitis was probably like my favorite player growing up, at least for a time. Uh, he was, he was just, he was just fun to watch, uh, and and I, I always enjoyed his interactions with uh, with Mario Lemieux. I think much more than Lemieux enjoyed it. I think so. there's, there's a long-standing history of Islanders infuriating Penguins, and then usually the Penguins winning anyway. But at least we have, you know. Kasparaitis and him, and you know the Hamannik and Malkin battles, and all of those things every time. Yeah, absolutely. I um, like I said, as you're talking, you're you're reminding me of of growing up. You know, Kenny Johnson. I you know I certainly remember a lot about him and, and trying to explain to people like you know how good he was and you know he didn't get a lot of credit and you know you, you're definitely right. He wasn't the type of player that should be you know have his number retired or anything like that. But you know he definitely was a big part of the team. Um, so. I wanted to make sure I got to this. I, I, I met you at the Rochester uh, Hockey Analytics Conference. And at that conference, we had one of the one of the most fun hockey-related things I think I've ever uh, been a part of is um, we had something that Lynn did called the takeoff. And so um, she she has parlayed that into a podcast that it hasn't, it hasn't updated in a while, so I'm hoping that she's going to get back to doing that. And basically for anybody, pretty much everybody, uh, the way it works is that people would come up with topics and um, it would be like a head to head. So like person versus person. And then you would basically get to look at the topic and you would have like a minute to think about it. And then you would have to give your your hottest take. So it was like most sarcastic or uh, cutting or, you know, hyperbolic or whatever. So. Again, I'm hoping that this podcast comes back because it's really good. It's called the Take Cast, and so since you are probably my favorite person at doing this, um, I wanted to, to to just give you one, right? So I'm just going to give you a topic. Uh, through the magic of editing, you can take your time. You know, don't feel rushed. You can take you know take a minute or two to come up with with your best take, um, and so we can give give people a little taste of um, what made me double over in laughter during this weekend. Uh, no pressure though. <laughs> All right. All righty, so- yeah. That, that one was assisted by quite a bit of beer and also by being in a, a small loud room where, you know, it would not be recorded for posterity, but we'll, 
we'll see how it goes. I'll give it my best. Well, you did really well on the on the take cast appearance you're on, so I have I have full faith that, that you will do great. All right, so um, so here is the topic: Why does Garth Snow deserve to be GM of the year? All righty, let me think about it. Okay, I think I think I'm good to go on this one. All right, Woo, cool. magic here, of editing. Woo. Here we go. All right, take it away, Alex. All righty. So here's why Garth Snow deserves to be general manager of the year. You know, there's a lot of criteria here, but ultimately, you know, I choose to see it as, you know, the most valuable, not the most outstanding general manager. And we're looking at the general manager's value. I think that that comes from his relationships with the other general managers. You know, this is, as we've all seen, an old boys club, a lot of traditional people who know one another. And so it's important to stay tight, stay positive, build good relationships there. And I think there's really nobody in the league who's proven better than that than Garth Snow. And I'll give you two examples for it. (laughs) First is his clearly longstanding, very deep friendship with Peter Schiarelli. You know, the fact that after all of they've been through after, you know, the Griffin Reinhardt trade after, you know, so many other moves that they would still this year come together again and trade Ryan Snow for Jordan Eberle. You know, that shows a deep level of trust and friendship that, quite frankly, I don't know if I've ever had in my life. <laughs> and so, you know, that sort of opportunity, I think, shows a really special bond that they've built uh, to trust one another through all of these moves. And the second one is, you know, sort of a more traditional look at general manager of the year. And that's, you know, well, who's sort of had the team that made some smart moves and is really doing unexpectedly well? Obviously, the team who's doing unexpectedly well right now is the Golden Knights, you know, led by George McPhee. And McPhee had spent the past few years as an assistant on the Islanders staff. And so I think it's safe to say that really where the Knights' success comes from is from the mentorship and guidance that McPhee has learned from Snow on his years on his staff. And so... You know, that ability, you know, to help not just his own team, but other teams succeed is really what makes Garth Snow deserving of the award. That was beautiful. Yeah. That was amazing. Awesome. <laughs> this is good because if there was any chance of me being an analytics consultant for the Islanders, it's probably not going to happen while he's there anyway. So, so oh, safe. <laughs> um, speaking of analytics, Alex, I know there's a lot of times where the computer boys are thrown under the bus and um there i in my opinion you're this is this is this is our time this is your time this is where you know the old guard finally becomes the the old and gone guard um but you know it's 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 crazy out there right it's it's a little bit of the wild west and you run into some people and for as much of the Times that I've asked people about, like, hey, what do you, what's the good stuff you're seeing? I wanted to get your perspective on what's the absolute worst take you've heard when it comes to analytics. Like, either disregarding it entirely or just someone's just complete and utter misunderstanding of what the goal of analytics is supposed to be. Um, you know, I think there have been a couple of cases recently, you know, the one crazy one being, you know, the Trump economist. But also there was one, I think, in soccer recently just saying, like, you know, if the analytics agree with me, I'll go with it. And that one, I think, speaks to just a larger, you know, it's not about how much you trust analytics or not, but just like the overall decision making process in the organization that if the purpose of analytics is to give you support for what you were already going to do and you're going to ignore them if they disagree, 
then you're wasting money having an analyst. <laughs> you know, there's you also shouldn't, you know, 100% blindly do what the spreadsheet says. And I don't think there's any analytics person who would say to disregard entirely, you know, the experience and the coaching and the scouts. Those are all important pieces. But you want to have an analytics staff that's changing your mind 10 or 20% of the time, or there's no point to having one. And I think, you know, when that's a big piece of it, the, you know, making sure you have a structure where analytics will be given the right weight. And if you're going in and not, you know, you're thinking, oh, we're going to bring in analytics, but you're not thinking about how, you know, that's going to just be a new dynamic in the room, the same way that hiring and, you know, a new assistant general manager is a new dynamic in the room and thinking through what is our decision-making process? How are we incorporating this? How are we making decisions, you know, with all of the inputs we have available, both data and not? You know, this is something that I think Petbugs did a really good talk about at the recent Vancouver Analytics Conference. And so, you know, there's sure like analytics are great. I certainly think analytics have a ton of value that's really not being used now. But even if you bring the analytics people in, you're setting yourself up for failure if you're not thinking through the broader questions of how are you setting up your organization to make the right decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Um you know, we've we seen with uh, with Florida, you know, they they kind of say, hey, we're going to do this. And then they pull the ripcord and then they they basically blame everything that went wrong on the people that they threw under the bus, completely ignoring that they gave away two thirds of a first line to Vegas, including at least one. I think Marcia so was was one of the players that the uh, the analytics guys, you know, picked up on and said, hey, let's get this guy. Um, you know, so it kind of seems like it's it's a case of uh people just wanting to, to to fit the the quote unquote facts into their narrative like they already kind of made up their mind like i like this or i don't like this and i'm just going to only look for the information that supports it and ignore everything else yeah i mean it was in retrospect you know i can think we can admit on the analytics side it was a mistake for that spreadsheet to have injured jonathan huberdow last season <laughs> probably yeah. should not have done that <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you're always going to get, you know, I mean, it's, it's natural. It's what human beings do is they craft narratives, you know, the looking at the coursey percentages of the teams who have won the cup, like that's like a nice narrative. It's not the like best, most rigorous evidence for why analytics are great, but people like me use it all the time because it tells that compelling story. And so when you're coming with that perspective of like, you know, here's the story, here's what's going on. You know, it's easy to and just perfectly humanly natural to interpret that story and put the pieces together the way that you are already thinking about it. And so, I mean, if the Panthers do pull off, you know, this comeback and grab the last spot, the the takes on the you know courage and leadership it took to get back in there is going to be god awful. When really it's you know probably a somewhat worse team than the previous year. But if you're taking you know the randomness that we know is inherent in hockey and using it to construct narratives, you're going to end up in trouble. And a big part of what the analytics can do and what that decision-making process can do is at least help. And it won't be perfect, but it'll help break apart, you know, what is it that we're seeing here? How much of it is luck? How much of it is this story that we're telling? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so before we, before we let you go, um, we're going to play, we're going to play a little game and, this this will be fun, Jay, because um, this is the first time that we've done this with with two people who are uh, who are fans of the same team. 
we did this all the way back in our first episode with a guest. So it's technically our second episode when we had Dan Dan on. And so Jay and I are both fans, uh, big fans of Conan O'Brien. And he had the classic uh, sketch in the year 2000. And so when we started this podcast, we decided that we were going to have some type of segment with, with that involved. And so basically it's a little game. So... The way it works is um, I have pulled up here, and Jay, you can pull it up on, on your side too. Um, oh, it's ready to go. Okay. So we have pulled up the top Islanders point scorers for the 99-2000 season. Okay, so, oh, dear. So basically here's how it works. You get, you get three wrong answers, right? So it's like three strikes. Mm-hmm. You get one point for every player you name in the top ten. Okay. But you can also go for the bonus where you can guess, like, say, for example, if we were doing it now, if you said, okay, um, you know, whatever year John Tavares was number one, you know, so you can pick a player and then tell me the position, you know, so it would probably make sense for like the first one. And if you get it right, you get two points. If you get it wrong, you get zero, even if he was in the top 10. So it's a gamble. Okay. Mm -hmm. So theoretically, the maximum you can get is 20, (laughs) but that's, that's going to be pretty hard. All right. So. Um, yeah, like I said, you get three strikes and some of them are going to be pretty easy. There's going to be some pretty tough ones in here. All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm not coming close to the top score. I'll tell you that right now. And I'm, (laughs) I'm definitely not guessing any positions in there. Let's see. Oh man, this is definitely not my, my era or ability. (laughs) I'm not good at trivia stats in general, but let's see. Well, Honestly, I think I'm going to open up with the defenseman. Since I've talked about Kenny Anson, I feel like, you know, he's certainly not number one or two, but it's, you know, he's the player that I solidly know is from around that time period. So I'll, I'll start with him. Okay, well, so so you can kind of calibrate there because, yes, Kenny Anson was number eight that year with 25 points. All right. So yeah. Things are looking up, you know, yeah. high scoring team. I can tell <laughs> that already. Oh, they're very high scoring. Let's see. Um, let's see. Probably at that point, Ziggy Palfey would be my next guess. That would be a good choice if he were playing that year. But he, was he was not. Oh, uh, no. I'm off. That's okay. That so got two, two more wrong answers. Two more strikes. All righty. All right. Well, you know what? This mm-hmm. one, I think I might... I, might, I don't know if this one counts as cheating, but I have previously heard episodes of this podcast. And while okay. I have not heard Dan's episode, mm-hmm. I remember you playing this game and joking with somebody about the you know, how preposterous it was that when Dan had to do it, it was like Marius Tchaikovsky was on the list. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go with him and mm-hmm. rely on that historic knowledge. He is number one. He is oh number my. one with a, a whopping 70 points. 70 points was number one on this team. Um, oh, dear. Scorcher. Scorcher year for him. Actually, actually, I think you get an extra bonus point for listening to the podcast. So there you go. You're you're doing Hey-o, well. Yeah. All right. Perfect. Right. That's how I'm going to get the rest of the way up the scoreboard. It's just <laughs> bonus points for sucking up to the judges. <laughs> oh, man. Um, hmm. Oh, jeez. Now I'm just thinking, like, because all of this falls into the category of just, like, historic, you know, childhood Islander teams. I'm yep. sure I'm just going to be like multiple years off. Like I'm trying to figure out, like, I want to guess like David Volek and see if he stuck around, pay, you know, that long. So let's just go with that one. And I'll probably take strike two. Uh, that is correct. He will take strike two. He, uh, All right. he, he was gone by then. Yeah. Fair enough. 
All righty. Um, you know, especially in that era, like I can list off a few of the defense, but I don't think anyone else is going to be up there in points. Um, how about Brad Isbister? Yes, he is number two. Oh, wow. He is number Point two. Point drop off between Ch- Cherkovsky and Isbister is... Pete, we have to play this game more often because I, I'm trying to figure out if there was ever a time where we saw a decent gradual <laughs> decrease from, like, high to low. But, like, I think the couple of times we've done this, like, it's usually, number one, he had a great year. Number two, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so Tchaikovsky had 70 points. Isbister uh, had 42. So he was second mm-hmm. on the team with 42 points. Oh, dear. Well. Now I don't feel bad. If I'm naming all of the players who had more than 40 points in the year, I don't feel too bad about it. You did, yeah, because the next person had 34. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Oh, man. I might just tap out at this point. I'm not sure if I even have any more names to guess in this era. <laughs> That's right. This this is a really tough game, uh, especially especially for this this era. So, all right. So, so here, here we go in order. So, you you got Tchaikovsky, you got Isbister. Number three was Tim Connolly. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Number four, Claude Lapointe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like near the end of his career. Number five, Jorgen Janssen, left winger. Never heard of him. Yeah, left winger. He had twenty eight points. Uh, number six was twenty two year old Josh Green, who I vaguely remember, but not really. Uh, number mm-hmm. seven, Dave Scatcherd. Uh, number. Nine is Oli Jokinen. And by the way, Oli Jokinen at number nine is the last player to score more than 20 points that year uh, because number number 10 was 17 points. Actually, 10 and 11 are both tied. Defenseman Jamie Heward and Jamie Rivers. So, yeah. yeah. And, An offensive uh, powerhouse, they were not. Exactly. And, and then a fun uh, couple of fun names on here a little bit further down. Number 16, a 22-year-old Zdeno Chara. Uh, did that guy ever pan out? I don't remember. As if, <laughs> I I've, as if I've wiped it from my memory entirely. Well, I mean, he he played sixty five games, so you know <laughs> if he's if he's twenty two and playing sixty five, I mean, I hope it panned out. <laughs> yeah. Well, didn't he end up in Ottawa? I'm sure. You know, <laughs> and I'm then, sure anyone who could be you know that franchise number one defenseman for Ottawa is going to have a, a long and happy time there. So. <laughs> And then uh, the last thing I'm going to mention, uh, all the way down at number 26 with four points, the aforementioned uh, Steve Webb. Uh, but if we had done this by penalty minutes, I'm I'm sure he'd have made it. He would have came in second behind Eric Cairns. So uh, there we go. <laughs> all right, so um, so Alex, thank you so much for stopping by. We really had a lot of fun. Um, so before I forget, just, just one more time, if you want to follow Alex at Twitter, uh, it's at Alex Novet and then it's N O V E T and you can read him at the athletic, uh, NYC. And then are you still doing stuff for hockey graphs? Yeah. You know, on occasion trying to find time now that I'm doing Islander specific stuff, but I do a bunch of neutral zone play analysis and other things hoping to, you know, get some of that stuff up on hockey graphs soon. So definitely worth checking out. And worst case is you find smarter people writing on hockey graphs instead. So <laughs> always worth checking out. Oh man. The, uh, <laughs> the very modest Alex Nova. Thanks again for joining us. We had a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a good time. Good luck out there. Hey, for our next time, we're going to start with a uh, question from one of our readers. Uh, A.S. Smith, 55, uh, has asked, I believe Vegas success has been the biggest surprise of any team in the NHL this year. 
but what player or team has been a surprise for you this year, good or bad? So Peter and I retreated to our dungeons. We crunched the numbers. We sought inner reflection and did a crap ton of psychedelics and decided to come up with two teams and two players each uh, as our surprise, uh, good or bad. And um, we've, we've, we've come out to the sunlight to, to, to tell you about them. As as we should, right? We weren't going to stay in our dungeons forever. So, uh, Pete, uh, how about you go first? All right, so uh, we can start with the teams. My first team is Colorado. And last year, I thought that Colorado was going to take a giant step forward. I thought they were going to be really good last year. It turned out that they were abysmal. And oh. Really bad. And so... I thought that maybe they would improve a little bit. Like I thought that they were, were a team that is on the upswing. I didn't think that they would be challenging for a playoff berth right now. So for my first choice, I'm going to go with Colorado. They have improved quicker than I thought that they would. That's I, I, I would have to agree. Uh, as much as I like to give Sackick some, don't like to give Sackick any credit whatsoever. I guess he did kind of okay, right? <laughs> um, okay, this one, it, it, I feel like it's a no-brainer, but I, but I still want to talk about it because um, this is, this is, these are the signs of the times. Uh, the most bad surprise for me has to be Edmonton. Has to be. And and again, you know, early on in the season, you know, the, even the team itself was like, eh, maybe we overachieved a little bit last year. So maybe it's not that shocking, but looking at the standings and just seeing how crazily not good they are, and um, you know, I was I was Pete, I was content with with a good Edmonton team, right? As much as I didn't really want one because here they are, they have another number one pick, and he's a really good player, blah 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 blah. But I was content with them being good, but. Now that they're not good, it just feels like my trust was was betrayed. You know, like it felt like I just did a lot of soul searching for no reason. So, um, yeah, I think Edmonton is the biggest one. And it's really frustrating because they're like challenging for for a high draft pick again. And um, if they get it, I kind of want to never want to watch this sport again. So (laughs) um, that's my that's my first team. What about your second team? Well, just really quickly, I don't think you'll have to. I don't think you'll have to worry about that because there are rumors that uh, Oscar Clefbaum has been playing hurt all year, or at least most of the year. And rather than shut him down, apparently Edmonton is is having him play to try to showcase him for a trade. Because when you have a young, very promising defenseman in the National Hockey League, the first thing you want to make sure you can do is trade him. So it seems like uh, it's going to be par for the course in terms of management at Edmonton. So I, I wouldn't worry too much about them taking a giant step forward, uh, which, which all, makes, all makes I it can, all, again, mm-hmm. all I can say is in the great words of pepper from dodgeball, it's a bold strategy. <laughs> bold strategy. All right. So my second team, uh, because, uh, the, the team that you have for second is, is it was on my list, but I'm going to talk about a different team. So my second team is Arizona because I thought, now, now here's the thing. Apparently, maybe you should bet on Arizona being good next year because it seems like I'm off by one year on these turnarounds. Um, mm. Because you know, last year I thought Colorado was going to be a lot better. It turned out that they were a lot better this year. Arizona, 
they they made some moves over the they made some moves over the summer to to take the next step forward. Ante Ranta has actually been good for them. The problem is he was hurt, and they dug themselves into such a big hole in the beginning of the year that they can't really get out of it. You know the last the last few you know the last stretch, uh, Ranta has been playing. You know he's been one of the best goalies in the NHL, and I'm not saying that I think he's going to continue as at that level, but you know, they, they went out, they, they brought in a goalie who had been a really good backup and there seemed to be some promise there and we'll have to see what happens with that. But I didn't see Arizona being this bad. I would have been kind of surprised if they, I think, I think I had them as my dark horse to make the playoffs when we did, when we did the show in the beginning of the year. So I thought that they'd be kind of around there. I thought they would definitely take a step forward. They maybe be a bubble team this year, but I, I'm, I'm surprised that they're that bad. I'm not, but I'm glad that the, I'm glad that teams can still surprise you, Pete. You know, it means, <laughs> mean, it, it means you're still young. You still have some of your soul. Um, so my second team, and this is a good surprise, and Pete, I obviously want to let you talk a little bit here too because I think this is a pretty cool story. The Winnipeg Jets. These guys are cruising right now. I am so excited and, uh, you know, with – Line a, and as as I'm speaking right now at the recording of this podcast, he has just gotten his 40th goal of the year. So Patrick Line is uh, quickly establishing himself as a force to be reckoned with. I think Connor Connor Hellebuck is a dark horse goalie. I think he's I think he's going to come out of nowhere and smash a couple bottles over some people's heads. That's how surprising I think he is. And um, they just went out and got Stastny at the deadline. That was pretty darn cool, and now uh, you know they got they got you Blake Wheelers. Really neat story, and to see where they are now versus you know when they were obviously still in Atlanta, and you know like like good for good for Bufflin, right? Like this is I I really like this team. They're they're my pick now. I I'm very excited to see what they're gonna do, and. Um, I, I would like to personally thank Patrick Line for all the good that he's done for me and my NHL 18 uh, Hockey Ultimate Team. Uh, a, con- a constant producer with a r- really wicked shot. So thank mm. you, sir. Yeah, I mean, if you, look at, if you look at Winnipeg, I think the surprise there is not that they're putting up a lot of goals. I think the surprise is that they're not allowing as many goals. And yeah. like you said, you mentioned Hellybuck. And, you know, this has been the year he's really, really taken a big step forward right now. Winnipeg is a now. Now, this isn't going to include any of the games that are happening on uh, Saturday or Sunday. But right now they are plus 49 in goal differential. And the only teams above them, uh, Nashville is plus 50. So they're the the second team in the Western Conference. If you go over to the East, you have a couple that are uh, that are higher than them. You have Boston at 50 plus 53, Tampa at plus 61. And and that's it, that's it. Those are the only teams that are above uh, above Winnipeg in goal differential, which you know shows that they're not just putting pucks in the net, which they are, but they're also playing well on the defensive side. All right, so let's switch over to players. Uh, Jay, for for the first one for teams, I went first, so you can go first for players. So what do you got? Okay, uh, I'm I'm going with a good surprise here. Eric Stahl 
I thought this guy was was a was a, 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 an extinct dinosaur, ready to be committed to the to the to the rafters as as a good but not great player. You know, majority of his career in in Carolina. <laughs> I and, thought you were going to say tar pits. <laughs> oh well, you know, the, the, again, I don't I don't want to sell you the tar pits because uh, uh, Lenny the fart from Last Action Hero is still exploding underneath the tar pits to this day as we speak. Hopefully, Jack Slater can. Can, can save him one day. That <laughs> reference is for JJ. I look forward to him responding when he when he hears it. Um, he uh, went to the to the Rangers right for 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 a hot sp- hot minute, and then and then the Wild picked him up. And Homeboy is uh, playing with the big dogs. I think he's got thirty seven goals, so he's right up there in top five for for goals on the year. And I'm really I'm really proud of him. You know, as whatever the eight hundredth stall to play in the league. You know, he's the probably the the, the most notable and most recognized and um again personal bias i hate that it's minnesota because that's such a black hole team that just does the most curious things to not succeed it's really bizarre but that's neither here nor there mm-hmm. uh so yeah i think i yeah my first awesome pick is is eric stall good for you buddy um i just wish you were on a different team so there you go <laughs> so for my teams, one one of my picks was uh, Colorado, so I'm going to pick basically the reason that Colorado is doing so well, and it's Nathan McKinnon because Nathan McKinnon he had a lot of potential, a lot of promise, and for for a while now, people are, have been wondering is he ever going to live up to that? And mm-hmm. now, remember the correlation does not necessarily equal causation. But mm-hmm. basically, the minute that Matt Duchesne's bags were packed, Nathan McKinnon started playing like a beast. Now, I don't know if the two are related, but it's a, it's a pretty strange coincidence, if, if not. So Nathan McKinnon has just come on like a monster, especially the second half of this season. And he's really started to live up to that potential as as um, an elite forward in the NHL. And I think it's going to be interesting, even though, you know, I can't root for Colorado uh, for obvious reasons, but yeah, yeah, I can still, I can still think that he's a good player. And I think it's going to be interesting to see, does he continue on this, uh, on this path or does he regress back to where he was before? I think that this is the real Nathan McKinnon. I think that this is what we're going to see going forward. And it's, so it'll be interesting to see if he can keep it up. All right, so those are our first players. Jay, who is your second? My second player, I'm going to the beach. Ricard Raquel. Mm-hmm. Where the hell did this guy come from? I love Raquel. He is one of my favorite players right now. I I tried early on in my hockey ultimate team to have him on my team because he was actually one of the higher rated ones. But, man, this kid has mitts and... I, again, you, you can see the pain on my face right now, Pete, because I have to say nice things about the Ducks for actually doing the, the right thing by giving him, you know, a spot on a team. Because whoever it was going to be, good for them. But, man, I, I just uh, – Ricard Raquel is just tearing it up for Anaheim, and I'm I'm okay with that, right? Like, I'm at, I'm at peace with that. I'm, I'm okay with – with them uh, being on on a team that I continually get to beat in Game Sevens when it matters most, but uh, that's that's neither here nor there. He's got he's got thirty goals. 
He's got uh, 29 assists. Um, I'm pretty sure Homeboy is going to, um, you know, have at least a close to 100 point season by the time it's all said and done. Um, granted, yes, there aren't a lot of games left, but I think he's that good. That's what I'm saying, Pete, because he's a good surprise. And he's, and he's 24. He's taller than me. He's just a really good player. And I think he's a really great surprise for me, but also good for the Ducks to, to have him around. So. That's my second player. How about you? <laughs> I love that he checks that particular box. It's like, you know, creative, mm-hmm. check. Good with a puck, check. Taller than me, check. Okay, so for, for my last one, I, I had a couple players listed, so I'm going to do a quick, like, kind of runner-up, a quick also-ran, and I'm going to say Tarasenko on the negative side just because of how good of a goal scorer he is, how good of a producer yeah. he is. It's mm-hmm. not that he's having a terrible season, but he's not. He, I had to go, I think, to page four or five of the of the point totals to find him. He's he's definitely did not have as good a season so far as as, as you would have expected. But my last uh, surprise is going to be a positive one. It is Claude Giroux. Woo! Just like you were saying with Eric Stahl, although maybe to a lesser extent, it kind of seemed like the Claude Giroux that we've seen for a while was over and turns out that that wasn't true. So rumors of his demise have been greatly exaggerated (laughs) and he, uh, since getting moved to the wing, he has had a tremendous year this year. There are some people that are, are pumping his tires for heart trophy. I don't, I don't think he, I don't think it's that good, but he, he definitely has taken a huge step forward from where he's been the past little while. And so Claude Giroux is my, is my other surprise. So thanks a lot for that question. Uh, you know, keep those questions coming. We can't get to all of them every week, but if you have a good idea for, you know, uh, a topic that we can talk about, we will certainly, uh, certainly do our best to include it as long as we can fit it in. So thanks a lot for that question and keep them coming. And in a little piece of business before we close out our show, our favorite rat and yours, Brad Marchand, has been fined by the league for diving. Now, it's it, we're not really sure if that's for a particular incident or if they finally just got around to watching videotape of him. But he has been fined for diving. And wait, oh, oh, hold on, hold on. We, we, we have some breaking news. So I am going to throw down to our Brad Marchand correspondent, Jay Tui. What's up, Jay? What are you hearing? Well, Pete, it's a great day here as we're recording this podcast, but I have some dour news to, to report to you as as uh, Brad Marchand is once again the, the, the subject of scrutiny as he has committed yet another offensive play while on the ice. During today's matchup against the Blackhawks of Chicago, uh, Anthony Duclair was on the unforgiving end of a Brad Marchand trying to get out of a way hit which will surely net him another phone call with the league. Uh, we're not entirely sure what his reasoning was behind taking his left hand off of his stick and hitting Declare in the face and then taking his right hand with his stick still in it and then further horse-collaring Declare, forcing Declare to fall backwards and toe-pick and bend his leg in the direction that God did not intend, and he's probably going to be after some time. So we're going to keep an eye on the situation here in Boston there, Pete, but, uh, you know, as we always say, Marchand, what a clown. Thank you, Jay, for that riveting report on yet another play, yet another questionable play by Brad Marchand. 
So we are going to close out our show. Thank you so much for listening. We had a great interview with Alex Novet. We said it before, but you can follow him on Twitter at Alex Novet. That is N-O-V-E-T. You can find his work at The Athletic NYC. And I've I've known him personally for a little bit, and I've been reading his work for a while. And he is a, uh, first of all, just a great person, but he's also a really great, uh, great writer and great hockey mind. So definitely, definitely take a look at that if you haven't already. Remember that we have uh, we we now have for sure merchandise. So it is out in the wilds. People are wearing it. Um, you know, it's a good conversation starter. It's a good way to support the show. So if you go on our our Twitter accounts, you can find the link. Uh, if you ask us, we can give it to you. Uh, Jay, now that I think about it, we should probably have an easy way for them to find it. I don't know. Our listeners are smart, right? If we just tell them our shirts are out there, go right. They'll they'll eventually get it. But no, you're right. You're exactly. Right. Well, we're we're gonna we're gonna put the link in our in our Twitter bio, and um, it's also uh, the link that's on my uh, in my bio for my uh, personal Twitter, which is at the roar underscore twenty four. But uh, you know, hey, if you're nice, you know, just like look in your mail. Maybe it'll, maybe maybe one will show up in your door. You yeah. Know. So 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 we'll come up with a uh, w- w- with an easy to find link for you for for the next podcast. Um, so uh, like Jay said, his his Twitter handle is at the roar underscore twenty four. Mine is P Flynn Hockey, and you can follow the podcast at two hundred foot pod. That's two zero zero F T P O D. So before we close out, we have our last and favorite segment. As always, it is our Doc Emmerich verb of the episode. So, Jay, what is it this time? Well, it's a it's actually a fairly common uh, verb, but um, just the way that Emmerich says it uh, based on either the, 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 the situation or his mood just elevates it to a different level. So blocked. Uh, I, I played a lot of uh, NHL recently, and I think I heard him say it 800 different times with different tones and different inflections. So it's great. So we 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 shot this one, Pete, and it's blocked <laughs> or uh, blocked or uh, blocked or blocked. So whatever your mood, you can bring it. So we really we really blocked this one, Pete. Drive blocked. <laughs> so so here you go. Yeah, it's it's usually what people do do to me on Twitter after I interact with them. So, bingo! Yeah. Hey-o. All right, so thanks a lot for listening. Uh, we will be back at you in two weeks with another episode. For sure. 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 For sure, sure, for sure. And for sure. For sure, sure, for sure, and for sure.